The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Cleveland Clinic, ranked number one in the nation in heart care 24 years in a row, according to U.S. News & World Report. For information on the complex cases treated at Cleveland Clinic or to get a second opinion, visit clevelandclinic.org slash heartcare. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, March 14th. In today's news... The former acting attorney general won't deny that he may have talked with President Trump about the Michael Cohen case. There's a big new clue that Bob Mueller might be wrapping up, and Beto throws his hat in the ring. But first, the big idea. Following days of resistance, the FAA issued an emergency order grounding Boeing 737 MAX 8 and MAX 9 jets after the agency received new evidence pointing to similarities between crashes in Ethiopia and Indonesia. Trump announced the abrupt about-face on Wednesday, after U.S. officials found themselves alone in allowing the planes to remain in the air. As recently as yesterday morning, both Boeing and the FAA continued to insist the planes were totally safe. This affects 70 aircraft in the U.S., American and Southwest have a combined 58 of the planes in their fleets. United Airlines has 14. The investigation into the causes of the Ethiopian Airlines crash is in the early stages. It's not clear whether hardware problems, software problems, or some combination of factors, including pilot error, caused the crash. But the Ethiopian and Indonesian incidents have several things in common. Both aircrafts crashed just minutes after takeoff. Both flights struggled to gain altitude, and both planes appeared to ascend and descend rapidly several times before crashing. Sources tell us that Trump privately disparaged the Boeing 737, which he said, quote, sucked, before he ordered the grounding. The president told aides that Boeing 737's pale in comparison to the company's 757, which he owns as a personal jet. He questioned why Boeing would keep building the model and opined that he never would have bought a 737 for the Trump shuttle, the small airline that he briefly ran three decades ago that relied on 727s until it went bankrupt. Trump added to public confusion, though, by suggesting during an announcement that the decision to ground the planes was psychologically important, but neither urgent nor conclusive. His equivocation reflected a reluctance to take the step of imposing a nationwide suspension that the CEO of Boeing pleaded with him not to order. Aviation experts agree that Trump should not have been the person making this call or announcement. Independent federal regulators historically take the lead on making decisions based on safety, not politics. The absence of a permanent FAA administrator more than two years into Trump's term, though, has become particularly glaring amid the ongoing fallout. Trump has wanted to nominate his longtime personal pilot, John Duncan, to become the head of the FAA, but he's encountered resistance even from Republicans on Capitol Hill, especially the Transportation Committee. So the position has now been vacant since Barack Obama's appointee finished his term in January 2018. Following an inquiry from the Post, the White House declined to say last night whether Trump is still considering Duncan, his pilot, for the job or whether he plans to nominate anyone else in light of the pressure facing the agency. After the Ethiopian crash on Sunday, Boeing said it will update flight control software as soon as possible. But it turns out this is something they might have been able to do sooner, if not for the government shutdown. Boeing and the FAA had been working to hash out the software updates. 
But the talks were delayed during the five weeks the government was shut down because workers were furloughed. The FAA concluded the delay was acceptable because its experts agreed with Boeing that there was no imminent safety threat, according to the Wall Street Journal. U.S. aviation regulators are now expected to mandate the change by the end of April. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, this is big. During a closed-door interview with the House Judiciary Committee yesterday, former Acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker did not deny that he and President Trump personally discussed the government's case against his former lawyer, Michael Cohen. That's according to Democratic Chairman Jerry Nadler from New York, who said Whitaker didn't deny the president called him to discuss the Cohen case, and apparently they also discussed personnel decisions inside the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, which brought the case against Cohen. According to Nadler, Whitaker also didn't deny that he had been, quote, directly involved in conversations about whether to fire one or more U.S. attorneys. Furthermore, Nadler noted that Whitaker said that he had been involved in conversations about the scope of the Manhattan U.S. attorney Jeff Berman's recusal from the Cohen case. Nadler also said Whitaker discussed whether subordinate prosecutors at the Southern District of New York, quote, went too far pursuing the campaign finance case in which Cohen has implicated Trump as an unindicted co-conspirator. Now, the committee's ranking Republican, Doug Collins from Georgia, was present for Wednesday's interview with Whitaker. He said Nadler's summary is an interpretation and overreach. While a Republican staffler who was also present for the meeting claims that Whitaker said he simply couldn't remember whether he had conversations with Trump about his longtime lawyer's case. Although it's hard to believe you'd forget such a conversation. Complicating the matter of getting to the truth, Wednesday's meeting was not transcribed or recorded as part of an agreement for Whitaker to come in. But Whitaker's non-denials, and he didn't respond to our request for comment, are raising questions among Trump's critics about whether his public testimony last month was accurate. Number two, former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort was sentenced to a total of nearly eight years in federal prison for conspiracy and fraud. In federal court on Wednesday, Judge Amy Berman Jackson criticized Manafort and his attorneys for repeatedly casting his hard fall from power as collateral damage from the special counsel's investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 campaign. For crimes including being an unregistered foreign agent, working with a pro-Russian party in Ukraine, and encouraging witnesses to lie on his behalf, Jackson added 43 months to the 47 months Manafort received from a federal judge in Alexandria last week related to tax and bank fraud. Just minutes after Jackson handed down that sentence, however, a New York grand jury indicted Manafort on charges of residential mortgage fraud. These are charges that fall outside of Trump's pardon power. Under the Constitution, presidents have wide authority to pardon people, but that only applies to federal convictions and not state cases. This is basically an insurance policy filed by the New York AG Letitia James to prevent Trump from pardoning his campaign chairman. And we learned last night that a top prosecutor on Bob Mueller's team is stepping down from his job at the Justice Department. This is the latest and maybe biggest clue that the special counsel's investigation might soon wrap up. Andy Weissman, the lead architect of the case against Manafort, will study and teach at New York University and work on a variety of public service projects. He's Mueller's right-hand man. Number three, Beto O'Rourke is officially running for president. The former Texas congressman and failed Senate candidate who's in Iowa for the next several days released a video announcement this morning. 
The 46-year-old Democrat from El Paso has gone from near obscurity to national celebrity in less than two years. This past election, O'Rourke lost to Texas Senator Ted Cruz by fewer than three percentage points, a striking showing in a red state. The loss was personally devastating for O'Rourke, who thought he would win. He has told us that he found himself in and out of a funk afterward. But now he says he's out of the funk and ready to run. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, March 14th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.